When a new priest comes into the parish and he celebrates Mass, he has to learn a lot of the problems with the acoustics and the microphone and everything. So there was a new priest that came in and he was saying the Mass and he started off by saying, there's something wrong with the microphone. The people said, and also with you. So I know that there's a racetrack pretty close to... uh, Can you hear me pretty well? Okay, good. There is a racetrack fairly close to the parish. I've never been there yet, but I pass by it at times when I'm visiting sick people. I heard a story of this uh, Protestant woman that retired and she was a a multi-millionaire. So she didn't know what to do with her money. So she did a certain um, discernment and the discernment was to go to the racetrack. To go to the racetrack. Yeah, that was her her discernment. I'm not going to say Ignatian discernment, but discernment. (laughs) So she was checking out how to bet. And there's one thing she noticed. There was a priest down on the racetrack who would be praying over the horse. And every time that the priest prayed over the horse, the horse won. So after watching for about a week, she started to bet. So she saw the priest praying over the horse, she bet and she won. Second horse, priest praying over the horse, she bet won. This happened the whole day, so she was piling up money. The very end of the day, she noticed that the priest was praying over the horse. And she was a you know practic- practicing Protestant. And this priest looked pale, emaciated, jaundiced, looked pretty sick. But the priest was praying over that horse. So one, two, three, go. And the horse took off. And she bet all of her money in that horse, and the the horse ended up last. So she went to the priest and said, what do you mean by this? Why did that horse lose? The priest said, you Protestants don't know the difference between a blessing and the anointing of the sick. Then there was this man who um, never got married, but he had a dog. So one day he came home and the dog was dead. So he went to the, the new pastor and said, Father, my dog died. Could you offer a mass for my dog? And the priest who had a degree in canon law said, canon law does not allow you to pray for dead dogs or dead animals. And the man said, but it was a great dog. My best friend, friendly, kind, loving, just such a great dog. And the priest put his foot down and said, according to canon law, we can't do it. So the man got up and was walking toward his car and said, you know, Father, I was thinking about giving you $50,000 for the Mass. The priest said, come back here. I didn't know that your dog was Catholic. just have to say, hey, I have a degree in English literature, philosophy, theology, and jokeology. <laughs> so I was uh, talking with Father Kwam shortly before my talk, and I felt that this, this talk is so ex- expansive that I found difficulty in putting it together. So I'm, I'm going to try to do is this. I'm going to talk about my own Marian experience 
Then I'd like to talk about the evolution of the book, the content of the book, and how the book can be used. So I'll try to cover it in that way. So I'd like, I personally want to go through my own merry moments. And being very Ignatian, I want all of you, sometime tonight, to ask the Holy Spirit and Mary to see, how, does, how has Mary touched you? I really believe that all of you have had some encounter with Mary in your lives. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. I think your priest here would probably say that in the background of their lives, that Mary has been present in their lives in one way or another, I'm sure. And you probably know that, Father. Father Quam, you published a book by Sophia Press, which came out about two years ago, right? Yeah. So hopefully, if you don't have his book, buy his book, too. And you know there's one thing better than buying his book, can I tell you? Buy three of them, right? <laughs> so you say, what's better than a rosary? To pray two roses, right? So make sure that you buy his book, too. All right, so I'd like to talk about uh, my own, uh, you might call it, Marian biographical experience. So I would not be here if it were not for Mary. So I, I attribute my vocation to many things, but if it were not for Mary, I, I wouldn't be here with you. So I'll start with my infancy. I happen to be the youngest priest in California. At the end of the month, I will be 17 and three quarters. <laughs> I'm one of those leap year babies, no? You ever meet one of those? <laughs> so, my mom had me baptized, and I see, I see divine providence, divine providence in my whole life. I was baptized on March 25th. Any of you know what that, what that day is? It's one of the most important feast days, solemnities in the Catholic Church. It is the solemnity of the Annunciation. That's when Mary said yes to the angel and she conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I, I see that as very providential. Now, very often behind a successful man is a woman. And I've got two. I've got the Blessed Mother, and thanks be to God, a very holy mother. I have to admit it. And even some of you have met my mom who turned 92 last month. I think a very, just a very holy, very holy uh, mother. No? Daily communicant for 70 years. No? Yeah. I'm from, I was born in Michigan, not Michoacan. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> On the day, when I, when I was one, one day old, uh, I had my hands up like this, and my mom said he's going to be a priest. Yeah. Very interesting, huh? Interesting how holy women make prophecies. I, I was like this as a baby. That, that's going to be a priest. Here I am. <laughs> then. When I was a little child, I was consecrated. I had an aunt that was in the convent for a short time, and the name of the order no longer exists. It was there in Michigan. Our Lady Reparatrix, which no longer exists. So I was consecrated to Our Lady Reparatrix. Now, when I say Reparatrix, you probably heard the word to repair. And... Um, more and more I'm aware, reading, reading and listening to Fulton Sheen, who's one of my favorites, 
I'm afraid to read Sheen because I, I know where he's heading in the priesthood. He's going to be talking about victimhood, and I'm afraid of that. And any priest that hears me saying that understands where I'm heading, and victimhood is one that's ready to suffer for Christ. So I can see this reparatrix was kind of pushing toward the priesthood because the definition that Fulton Sheen gives of the priest, the victim who offers the victim. That's the definition of your friend Fulton Sheen. The victim who offers the victim. Very much related to a lady reparatrix. Okay, now, as, as a child, uh, my, my family did not pray the rosary together. However, there in New York, um, or maybe I should speak like a New Yorker, <laughs> there in New York, there was what was called the Block Rosary. I don't know if you ever had that in California. The Block Rosary was had a group of Catholic women and they would say the rosary once a week and they would be going from one house to the next. So my mom would get together with about five or six of her Catholic friends and they'd go from one, one house to another and they'd pray the rosary. And I remember, I was probably six or seven, and I thought, wow, I'm praying the rosary with these ancient women. They're <laughs> 35 years old. I thought that that was, that they were from, you know, the Old Testament, no? <laughs> now that I'm, you know, double that age, I feel that that's very young. <laughs> But I remember praying that block rosary. I see, seeing all these mystical women with their hands folded and praying and not moving. And I had ants in my pants the whole time. But I prayed it. So I offered that up as a sacrifice. So from that time on, they would always be praying to Our Lady of Fatima. The intentions of Our Lady of Fatima. So here in California, especially in L.A., because of the Mexican influence, you have Our Lady Guadalupe. I didn't know anything about her. But it's Our Lady of Fatima and Our Lady of Grace. Do any of you have a statue of Our Lady of Grace stepping on the serpent with the apple in his, apple in his mouth? I was brought up and raised with that. So Our Lady of Fatima and Our Lady of Grace. Now, I, I see one of the greatest graces I had was the following. And when I'm given the spiritual exercises uh, that uh, probably many of you have done the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, I start off with, with explaining how to meditate. Then I say to the people, one of the, one of the greatest graces I ever received in my life and I know that there's some children here. Some children here. Is when I was a child, I always really liked to pray. And I, I haven't met many children that come up to me and say, Father, I love to pray. And I noticed that that's a huge grace. So I didn't have to be forced to pray. I just liked to pray. So before going to bed, my mom, when I was three or four, my mom and dad prayed. But then when I was six or seven, I just prayed by myself. I really like to pray. And I see that, I see that, what, what an incredible grace it is that as a child, I love to pray. Now, I like to play baseball too, but I, I love to pray. Now, when I was 14, when I, when I was 14, uh, I was living now in New Jersey, in Bergen County. Those were the days when kids have books. Do the kids have books today? Do they still exist? <laughs> or just a phone, okay? 
we'd have to carry a lot of books to school. Do you kids know what a book is? <laughs> you know, the older people, your parents, they, they, they have a book. Oh, you have my book, right? <laughs> so I would walk, uh, I'd walk two miles to school. Two miles to school. Now, listen to this, and I'm only aware of this the past couple of years. I was not aware of what, what grace this was. That when I was walking to school, I already had the 15 mysteries of the rosary memorized. Because back, it was only 2002 that John Paul II and the, uh, blessed, the apostolic letter of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Rosary, he introduced the luminous mystery. So it's just... 20, 20, 21 years that we have the luminous mysteries in the rosary. So what I would do was I would walk to school but with my guardian angel and I would pray two to three rosaries on, on my fingers. How many teenagers that are 14 or 15 would pray three rosaries a day? No, I really, I mean, and, and, and I'm just, what a grace. And I'm, I, mean, I was just becoming aware of this two or three years ago. A teenager praying three rosaries walking to school, that's huge. When I would come back from school, I got a ride back to, to the house, but walking is usually, I'm walking by myself, and well, if I'm walking by myself, I might as well do something. I'll talk to the Blessed Mother. So I prayed like three rosaries. No? Okay. Uh, I might like to tell a personal anecdote, uh, especially for the priests here, uh, divine providence and how God works. Uh, when I was a child and a, and a teenager, I had three dreams. I wanted to do three things. Okay, the first was, I probably can't say that, say this here in California, maybe I'll skip the first. Should I, or should I say it? Okay. You're not going to get angry at me? I hope not. Okay, you ready? I wanted to be a New York Yankee. Oh. <laughs> Save me, Mary. <laughs> I know I shouldn't say that here. No? Well, brought up and raised in New York and New Jersey, I mean, if you're an athlete, if you're, you're going to be either a Met or a Yankee fan, right? And never a Dodger fan there. <laughs> so I wanted to replace, some of you, if you're my age, I wanted to replace Mickey Mantle okay, in center field. I have a ball signed by Mickey Mantle in my room. How about that? Do not cover your neighbor's goods. Huh? <laughs> the second was I, I wanted to be a writer, even when I was a kid. I wanted to write. I was never good at math, so I never going to teach math in MIT. I knew that. But writing, I thought maybe I'd become a writer. And then after that, I'll be a priest. So I'll first be a Yankee, okay, then I'll, I'll make it to the Hall of Fame, okay. Not the Hall of Shame, the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and then I, I'll write a book, and then I'll, I'll be a priest. That was, my, that was my plan, okay. So right now I'd like to tell you among the most, probably the most painful moments in my life. I was about 14 and I finished middle school and in, in middle school the best student would be my brother who Joe has met my brother Mike, right? He, he, he's a graduate from, uh, from Dartmouth, summa cum laude, Columbia. He's a back surgeon okay? there in Orlando. So he was the best student there. But I was the best athlete in the school. So, and we both 
didn't have envy. My parents tried to instill in us not to envy, but rather to rejoice. And that's important that children are not envious. My mom and dad, don't envy me. Your brother, he's the best student, but you're the best athlete. Praise the Lord. And this is what happened. I've always been very intense in all that I do, very intense. I was running so much that a cartilage underneath my knee loosened, so I ruined my knee. And I did something that you people here, you've never done it. It was with respect to snowballs. I was throwing snowballs in the middle of the winter, and I won the President's Award of Physical Fitness. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I won that. When I was 13, I threw a softball 240 feet. And I was only 4'11", 95 pounds. So I had a, I had a cannon of an arm. Imagine a, a kid your age throwing the ball a football field, no? So I had a very good arm. So I was so dumb that I was throwing snowballs in the middle of winter and I, and I ruined my arm. So I ruined my leg. I ruined my arm when I was in the prime of my life as, as an athlete, a real budding athlete. So freshman and sophomore year in high school, I was watching my friends play sports. I couldn't, I couldn't play sports for two years. And I went, uh, I went to the best doctors, and I don't know if you've ever heard of Greenwich Village, New York, okay? Yeah, maybe the best doctor in the country. My dad took me there, and the doctor said, hey, you just got to wait. I made so many novenas of St. Jude, he probably got angry at me. <laughs> but for two years, it didn't heal. Then junior year, it healed. I made varsity in baseball and bowling. I, I played good. Then the, I went to Villanova. I played baseball at Villanova. But I wasn't, I wasn't a superstar. And I think what would have happened is if I were to have kept progressing, I probably would have become a professional baseball player, but at minor league. Amazing the Dodgers or the Yankees. It's, <laughs> honestly. I, I probably minor league, a good second baseman, uh, but I probably would have gotten in trouble with women and, and drinking, uh, maybe drugs. Uh, I, I, I can see that that probably could have happened. So God allowed the suffering of those two years. He said, I don't want you to be a baseball player. I want you to be a priest. You know, how good God is. This is very Ignatian, where you're rewinding the film of your life and you see how God intervenes and God says, you think that this is best for you, but I have a better plan. And I think, I think all of you probably have your own experience in which God visited you with a very painful cross. Right? Would you agree with that? I think all of you. And I think you have to rewind the film and, and thank God that, that God allowed that to happen to bring a greater good. Look, if I were a professional baseball player, you retire at 39. I'm in my, I'm in my, I'm in my late 60s. I feel like I'm in my prime. Really? I feel like I'm in my prime. I'd be retired 30 years. So God knows what he's doing. All right. The next Marian, Marian uh, touch in my life would be when I went to Villanova. I was an English major. But I set up a group in the campus called the Savio Society with one of the professors. And we, and I was the head of this group, 
we prayed in the center at Villanova the 15 decade rosary every day, the scriptural rosary. Any of you ever prayed the scriptural rosary? You've got Hail Mary, then you've got a biblical passage, Hail Mary, biblical passage. And I see that in the very center of the university, a student praying the 15 decades of the rosary, one at 12, another one at 6, another one at 10 o'clock in the morning. So I could see how God was preparing me to be a priest. Then, my spiritual director was actually one of the university professors who taught, taught Shakespeare and Milton and Byron and Tennyson. If you're an English major, you've heard those, those uh, famous English writers. He was my professor, but he was a holy man. And he started to direct me spiritually. And one day, this would be about 1976, he pulled out the National Catholic Register. You've heard of the National Catholic Register, some of you? It's a really good uh, Catholic newspaper. And he said, I think maybe you should visit this religious uh, congregation. And it was the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. And Oblates of the Virgin Mary said, great love for Mary, preaching the spiritual exercises, popular missions, fighting against current heresies, and remember our charism, spreading good literature, the formation of priests, that's the charism of the Oblates, faithful to the magisterium. And my, my professor says, this is right up your alley. So, as a junior, I went to visit the Oblates in Boston. This would be like 77. Then I visited another time. Then, it was right around the end of 78. I was talking with a brother there. And I was putting it off because I was already had graduated. I was a teacher in, listen to the King of Prussia. What a name. King of Prussia, which is uh, in the outskirts of uh, Philadelphia, near Norristown, if you've ever been on the East Coast. And um, there was a brother there, and I was saying to myself, I think um, maybe another year of teaching, because I really have to get more experience in the world. I'm not mature enough. Even though God was saying, you're ready, go. And the brother said, quoted St. Alphonsus, St. Alphonsus says, God calls and calls and calls and then he never calls again. Uh-oh. That broke my resistance. I told my parents it was Easter Sunday of 78. I have to become a priest. And my mom said, I know, you've been putting it off for a year. <laughs> they would never push, but she, my mom said, yeah. and then... The name of that brother that said God calls and calls and calls and doesn't call anymore. Okay, that brother is now Father Larry Darnell. Have you heard of him? Yeah. He was the one that insisted that I do not delay anymore. So I, I'm thankful to him for having said yes to his vocation to be a brother and motivating me. Then I was ordained uh, to the priesthood by John Paul II on May 25, 1986. And I entered into the congregation of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Okay, so the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. And the charism of the Oblates is Ignatian, but also the charism is Marian. So it's our charism to get people to know and love Mary. So ordained May 25th, which is the month of Mary, on the Feast of the Blessed Trinity, then sent to Argentina for five years, 
uh, Chile for two years, and I've been here for 28 years. No? So that's been a long haul, and it's been the best 28 years of my life, really. All right, so uh, I purposely spoke about that because I think it's a good idea to rewind the film of our lives to see where God has been present. Okay? And I see the Blessed Mother has been in the background of my life, my whole life. So I invite all of you, all of you to do the same. To rewind the film of your life and to see where God has been present, but also where the Blessed Mother has been present. Okay? So now I'd like to, I'd like to talk about this book and the evolution of this book. I had already written three books and we didn't bring one of my other books because it, it was sold out as we were ordering some more books from Sophia Press. Uh, one of my other books is Consecrating Yourself to Jesus, to Mary, through the Mysteries of the Rosary. Now there are many, there are many uh, forms of consecration. The most, oh, she's got it here, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we ran out, but uh, one of you has this. I like it because it's, you can tell it's been used, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there are many types of consecration. The first one I did, you probably did it also, was St. Louis de Montfort, True Devotion to Mary. Then you got St. Maximilian Colby, through the Immaculate Mary did that. Uh, one, of my, one of my other spiritual directors, you probably know him, is, is Father Michael Gately. So I was directing him years ago, and he wrote a consecration, 33 days to morning glory. So there are many different types of consecrations. So one day, after having read John Paul II's apostolic letter, on the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Rosary. This was the thought. Well, for me, I love the Rosary. My life has been Mary, especially through the Rosary. Why not write a consecration program in which the people can be meditating upon the Rosary in depth after the 20 mysteries, and then to add... Today we celebrate, you might know, we celebrate the seven servants of Mary, the Servites. Today we celebrate them. And um, why not add the devotion of the Franciscan Servites, add the seven sorrows of Mary. So I've got the 20 mysteries of the Rosary and the seven sorrows of Mary. So I launched that in the 100th anniversary of Our Lady Fatima, May 13th. So that was launched in that, that was released 2017. Then after I finished that, I felt, um, I want to write something else on Mary. So uh, I would be able to write on my day off, and then when I went on vacation with my parents, I'd have about two weeks in which I'd be able to just be in my room and, and work on uh, another book. And so this, this was the original idea. I want to put together a book that has the key Marian devotions, but I want to be, the whole book to be key Marian devotions. So when I say Marian devotions, what would that be? The scapular, the rosary, the golden Hail Mary, the memorare, the angelus, Devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Scapular, uh, uh, Our Lady Undoer of Knots, the Miraculous Medal. Uh, these are all Marian devotions. So I wanted, to, I wanted to write some short but clear chapters because you've got books on Mary, but a book specifically focused just on devotions I hadn't 
Maybe, maybe it's out there, but I didn't find it. So I thought, well, I'll write that. So I spent a couple of summers working on that. And this is what happened. I met in New Hampshire a man that worked for Tan Publishers. Okay. Your pastor's book was published by Sophia Press, so the different publishers. My first two books were Sophia, but a man that worked for Tan said, you know, Father, maybe we can do some work with some of your, your literary works. I said, okay, we can go from Sophia, I'll go to Tan. Tan is probably the most well-known publisher in the country. Sophia is, is, is huge now. It's really growing well. We know Father Charlie McKinney very well, my whole family. So it's really, it's really blossoming, Sophia Press now. But Tan is, is superb. So he said, well, well, see if we can get you to, to write for Tan. Uh, John Morehouse was his name. So I submitted this to him about five years ago. And right in the middle of the pandemic... He died suddenly. He was only in his early 50s. It was a sudden death. A real shock. So what happened was these Marian devotion chapters that I had finished, he passed it to another editor who was totally different from him. Totally different style. The other guy... um, and I'm thankful for this divine providence, is he, he said to me, well, Father Groom, you got these chapters on Mary and devotion, but let's, uh, let's make this a masterpiece. Let's go beyond the devotions. And he said, well, I've been working on this for such a long time, I'm kind of getting tired. No, he said, but no. Uh, he's, but, he, but he said, you're going to see how divine providence works. He said, okay, I want you to write also on Marian dogmas. Okay. Marian dogmas. The past ten years, I've been doing missionary work in L.A., a little bit in Orange County, but especially L.A., giving Marian missions that last about five weeks. So um, I just, the last one I finished is Our Lady Guadalupe, uh, downtown L.A. I finished that on February 2nd. And uh, we gave up 600 scapulars on the day of consecration. Just the, 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 church was packed to the church was packed to the gills. So what I do is, in this Marian consecration, I come, I say the Mass, I give it an hour talk, and then they divide into groups and they share here I can tell we have a, a pretty well-educated group of people uh, who know your faith pretty well, but I wonder how many of you could tell me the Marian dogmas? Okay, the two priests here, I'm sure they can, okay? <laughs> and I think I'm, we, we take it for granted Very, very rarely have I ever given a talk in which anyone knows the Marian dogmas. So he said, you write the Marian dogmas. And I thought, yeah, I will. Okay, the the, the Marian dogmas are four. So you're going to have this in this book. And my, my style is the way I preach. Uh, my style is very clear, very easy to follow, uh, not complicated. The Marian dogmas are, what are these? These are, are truths that have been proclaimed by Holy Mother Church, inspired by the Holy Spirit, proclaimed by the Magisterium, that we have to believe. And they are the Immaculate Conception. The second would be the perpetual virginity of Mary. That Mary is virgin before the birth of Christ, during the birth of Christ, and after the birth of Christ. The third would be the greatest Marian dogma, which is Mary's divine maternity. And 
Maybe you've never heard it said like that, but it means Mary's the mother of God. Proclaimed in the Council of Ephesus in the year 431. And the last dogma was proclaimed by Pope Pius XII, November 1st, 1950. That dogma is the assumption of Mary into heaven, body, and soul. So those are the four Marian dogmas. Now, you've probably heard of them, but next time someone asks you, what are the four Marian dogmas, hopefully you'll be able to tell them. I really feel if you really love Mary, we have to know the Marian dogmas. So he asked me to do that. Now, dogmas and devotions. I'd like to compare, I'd like to give you this analogy. I was teaching confirmation today and I told the kids, uh, my favorite food is, I, I like Italian food. We all have our preference, no? They said, a proper Mariology is like an olive garden salad. Have you ever had it? <laughs> the Italian mama made it. <laughs> I mean, I think it's probably won awards. It's a really mama mia salad, huh? So, a proper Mariology is like an olive garden salad. The salad is the dogma. And the condiments is the devotion. Like that? So the condiments would be the salad. I'm sorry. The salad would be the dogma. And the condiments would be devotion. So to have a proper Mariology, you have, you have to have dogma. But also you have to have devotion. So dogma is directed at the intellect. Primarily. And... Devotion is directed at the heart or the, or the emotions. So there has to be a harmonious blend between dogma and devotion. Understand? There has to be a harmonious blend between the dogma is directed more at our intellect and the devotion at our heart. Dogma without devotion can be very arid, can be very dry. And we've all read as priests, uh, certain theological treatises on dogma can be pretty arid and pretty dry. Huh? Whereas devotion without dogma can degenerate in sentimentalism. Okay, hear that? Can degenerate into sentimentalism. So there has to be a harmonious blend between the dogma and the devotion. So he asked me to write the dogmas too. And he went like this. Ah. But to my chagrin, my agony was not over. He said, okay, Father, there's something else you have to write. Oh, no. Now what? He said, I want you to write three separate chapters on Marian apparitions. Okay? But approved Marian apparitions. So the three most renowned approved Marian apparitions, you probably agree with me, there are many. We cannot deny Our Lady of Guadalupe. Have any of you ever been to Guadalupe? I've been there more than once. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? You go there, the people pouring in almost every time of the year, it is, it's, I, I've read after St. Peter's, it's the second most visited Marian shrine in the world, after St. Peter's. And the, the history, the story of Our Lady Guadalupe is charming. It's charming. And you're dealing with Mexicans. My, my parish, where basically 70% is Mexican, yeah, Our Lady Guadalupe, I mean, it's in their blood. However, many people, even the Mexicans, don't know the whole story of Our Lady Guadalupe. They know the flowers and Juan Diego and you know a little bit about the bishop and uh, the, the uncle that was sick, but not that much. 
And that's an incredible catechetical tool is Our Lady of Guadalupe. That's the place where John Paul II visited most in all this pontificate. Of all his visits, Our Lady of Guadalupe was number one. Then the second would be we celebrated uh, her feast day just uh, about uh, a week ago, Our Lady of Lourdes. Our Lady of Lourdes. Hopefully it'll come out in DVD with, uh, with a couple of friends I saw. There was a movie at Edwards Theater on Lourdes. Did any of you see it? What did you think? Excellent. So when it comes out in DVD or check it out on YouTube, just Lourdes, it's a tearjerker. But it's going to be total surprise to you. I won't reveal it to you, but try to get to see the... See that. See uh, the song of Bernadette. See the passion of Bernadette. The other famous ones. So I wrote a chapter on Our Lady of Lourdes and St. Bernadette. Now here's the connection between devotion and dogma. When did Our Lady appear? Uh, when did Our Lady of uh, Lourdes appear? 1858. 18 apparitions. She revealed herself Je suis la Macaulay Conception. Parlez-vous français, un petit peu? Je suis la Macaulay Conception. She revealed herself as the Immaculate Conception speaking in Patois, which has been the dialect of St. Bernadette. Guess what happened four years before Our Lady Lourdes? Don't all speak at the same time. Okay. <laughs> Well, so you have the, the dogma proclaimed by Pope Pius IX. Okay? 1854. Four years later, Our Lady appears to Bernadette and says, I am the Immaculate Conception. Wow. See the connection? Mary is ecclesial. Mary is simply reaffirming a new dogma that the Franciscans and Dominicans fought over whether or not that was going to be a dogmatic statement. But then the Pope said, dogmatically, Mary was conceived without the stain of original sin. I'd like to quote the famous English poet Wordsworth. Mary's our tainted nature's solitary boast. Wordsworth. Hmm? Our tainted nature's solitary boast. Of all those who came into the world, Mary's the only one, aside from Jesus, that was not stained with original sin. Then the third apparition would be, what do you think? Fatima. So I wrote three chapters on Our Lady, uh, on, on Lourdes, Fatima, and then and Guadalupe. And then he said, what we'll do is we'll end with about five pages of prayers to Mary. Some of the most beautiful prayers in the history of Catholicism are present there. The Memorare, Subtum Principium, the Litany of Loretto, beautiful prayers. Now, one other thing that happened was, uh, if, you, if you have the book, I think you're, you'll fall in love with the art, right? Have you looked at the art, some of you already? This, uh, this art is just beautiful. So when you're reading through it, you're going to be exposed to some of the most beautiful European art masterpieces on the Blessed Virgin Mary in the history of Catholicism. So that's the evolution of it. So my, my, my initial intention was, was devotion, and that was it. So because of this new editor, he added Marian devotion, Marian apparition, Marian art, and beautiful Marian prayers. So there we have my book, The Compendium Marian Devotion. Okay, so give me another five minutes. Okay, another five minutes. Um,
This just occurred to me last night. I was trying to put together some ideas and uh, this occurred to me. Uh, how, how, how can you use this, this book? Okay, many ways. Many ways. First could be with, okay, with your children. Okay, we've got some children here. Maybe read a page every night before they go to bed. Just a page. That's one thing that can be done. Okay, second what can be done with this book is we're entering now into the season of Lent this coming Wednesday. It'll be Ash Wednesday. I think this could be an excellent way in which you can undertake a Lenten practice. So what you can do is in this textbook there are 32 chapters. So read. Read a chapter. Chapter every day. The Lent is 40 days, but read a chapter. And what you can do with it is you can do what's called a Lectio Divina. You've probably heard the terminology Lectio Divina. You can turn the reading of that chapter into a meditation. So that could be that could be your holy hour. So if you're looking for something to utilize for a holy hour, there you got 32 of the days of Lent. You can do that. So you open it up, read, and use this method. Lexio. Pope Benedict XVI in his encyclical Verbum Domine, which is the Word of God. Pope Benedict wrote, a, wrote an encyclical on, on reading the Bible. Is He says you have to follow these steps. Lectio, meditatio, contemplatio, oratio, actio. How's your Latin? You know Spanish is almost the same. Utilizing that method. Lectio, read. And with Samuel, speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. Okay, Lectio, meditatio, what do you have? Meditate, yeah. So, like like Mary, ponder in your heart the word of God. The third would be contemplatio. Contemplatio means this. I once did a retreat with Owen Kearns, who was the uh, director of the National Catholic Register for many years, and he said something in spiritual direction that, I, that really hit me. He said, we have an imagination. We can use it either for good or bad. For me, it's common sense enough. I never thought about that. So contemplatio is what? Use your imagination in which you want to bring you want to bring Jesus, Mary, and Saint Joseph into your imagination. Fill your mind. Saint Paul says, "Put on the mind of Christ." Remember that passage? Put on the mind of Christ. Then Saint Paul says, "You have the mind of Christ." Who has the mind of Christ better than Mary? None. Contemplatio. An oratio, which means pray. So something triggers your heart as you're reading. Open up and talk to Mary. Talk to St. Joseph. Talk to Jesus. Talk from your heart. We call that a colloquy, a heart-to-heart. Cardinal Newman calls it a heart-to-heart conversation. Then, 
Actio. Action. Pope Francis says we have to go from the mind, the heart, to the feet. I like that. We're called to be a contemplative in action, right? Going from the mind to the heart to the feet. Now I added one, one other word that Pope Benedict did not use. And it is transformatio. Transformatio. Which means? So if you do this Marian Lecture Divina, in which you're doing your Lectio, your Meditatio, your Contemplatio, your Oratio, your Actio, the net result will be Transformatio, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Amen? Amen. So, uh, that's my suggestion that you can utilize this as a way in which you can really live out your Lent. And as St. Louis de Montfort says, the quickest, easiest, most efficacious pathway to Jesus Christ is through the heart of Mary. So may God bless all of you, and I pray that you have a very fruitful Lent, and all of you become great saints through the intercession of Mary. God bless you. Okay, um, Father, uh, he, uh, he said, for maybe 10 minutes, if you're not in a hurry, a couple of questions, and if I don't know, I'll humbly say I don't know. Maybe I'll ask a greater expert. So if you have a question or two, I'll try to respond to that as best I can. It's a good question. Uh, most of you have done the exercises. Meditation is you're utilizing discursive reasoning. Discursive reasoning means you take an idea, for example, the humility of Christ, and you go through different ideas of what humility is, and then you come to the conclusion Jesus is meek and humble of heart. I want to try to practice the virtuous humility. Whereas contemplation is it's more visual in which you try to enter into the scene. You become part of the scene. Ignatius calls it the composition of place. For example, uh, Jesus is walking on the water. You become Peter. They're terrified. And what happens is they cry out, Ghost, Jesus says, it's, it is I, do not be afraid. Then Jesus, with Peter, he tells, Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come up. So he steps out and he starts to walk on the water and he starts to sink and he says, Lord, save me. So in the contemplation, you actually become like Peter. You're Peter in your relationship with Christ. So it's, it's, more, it's more visual. Now what will happen probably in your prayer life there's probably going to be a mixture where you do meditation and then you do, do contemplation. Okay, so. Sure. Um, Our our, our Lady of Knock, she appeared in Ireland, and it was an apparition that um, she appears, and right next to her is St. John the Evangelist, dressed as a bishop. And it's just one apparition, and it was very priestly. Very priestly. She didn't say too much. 
it's, a pro, it's approved. Medjugorje has been happening many, many years. Uh, it has not been approved officially by the Holy See as of yet. Uh, people can go there, and maybe many of you have probably gone there and received many graces, but it's not officially approved as is uh, Fatima, Lourdes, Guadalupe, and La Salette, Banu, Boring, Akita, Akita in Japan. These are approved Marian apparitions. So um, Medjugorje is not officially approved by the Holy See as of yet. And it's been going on since the early 80s. Yes. What is the, 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 the uh, meditation that the monk Buddhist uh, encouraged? It's a little bit different because uh, when, when we're meditating, the basic focus of our meditation is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has to be the very center of our meditation. And the best one to teach you is Saint Teresa of Avila. Okay? Anyone who is serious in growing your prayer life, Teresa of Avila, she's the greatest. She wrote the, the Way of Perfection. She wrote La Vida, which would be her autobiography. And she also wrote The Interior Castle and Foundations. So well, those three are masterpieces. And Teresa of Avila says, one of the best ways to pray is to contemplate the humanity of Christ. That's Teresa of Avila. So if you're meditating without any connection with Christ, uh, I think there's some danger there. And Pope Benedict, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, actually wrote a document on the danger of moving into a wrong series of meditations. So Christ has to be the center. If you're meditating and you're not getting closer to Christ, I think there's danger. And how many of you have done the exercises? Okay. What does St. Ignatius say, say, which is the fruit of the second week, which is the week of the, of the life of Christ? We pray for intimate knowledge of Jesus, that you love him more ardently, and you follow him more closely. That's, that's pure Ignatius, yeah. Hello, Father. So, um, since you are a member of the OMV, um, there, like a lot of it, a lot of what you said was definitely emphasizing the Marian aspect of it. But what inspired, like, what drew you to the Ignatian side of the OMV? Like, like when did you see that? You, like, when you were first discerning, when you were a child, like, how did you learn about like the Ignatian side of things? Good question. Actually, when I entered in. Uh, I didn't know too much about the Ignatian method. I didn't know too much. But in the years of formation, we would have Ignatian retreats. It'd be like one day, and then it'd be two days. And then uh, right before, I think it was right before making my first vows, we had a, um, a lot of our guys came from uh, French-speaking Canada. And there was a priest whose name was Father Lacasse, who gave many of the retreats in Canada. So I made a 30-day retreat when I was a novice. Once I made the 30-day retreat as a novice, I really understood more and more the dynamic of it. And now, um, it's my charism, but I, I love the Marian devotion, but I love the spiritual exercises. Such that annotation... You have what's called annotation 18 and 19. It's the, the principle of adaptation. I wrote the 10-week program that many of you have done, but also I've written, I've written annotation for teenagers. I've given the annotation to teenagers, right, Mary, about five years ago. I've written the exercises to elderly, and I've also put together one for, one for, for children that are three years old. 
That I haven't launched yet, but I've already written that out. That would be such where a mother takes a three-year-old little child and shows these beautiful images of Jesus and Mary. Then you talk to your little child and you tell your little child to talk to Jesus and you end up by giving Jesus a kiss. Yeah. I haven't done that yet, but I think that would be a winner. You're basically relying a lot upon the whole idea of images because we live in it in a Instagram, we live in a, a world of images that are using bad because of pornography and all that. We want to use images in a proper way. So, um, one of the gifts I have is I'm, I'm very creative apostolically. You, 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 you give me a week and I'll create a new program. And it's just a matter of launching it. So I have, I have many other programs that Mary and Eric work with me, but it's just a matter of, of using my time as, as best I can. We're all overly busy as priests. So, thank you for that question. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much, Father Brown. You are so prolific, and we're, we're so uh, grateful for your priesthood and your ministry. Let us thank Father. I, I, could, I could sign the books yes, if they'd well, like. I will be signing books here. If you'd like to um, go come get a book.